This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Heather Drago, and this is That's a Hard No, the podcast about saying no and setting boundaries to become the authentic and empowered you that this world needs. The holidays are upon us. It can be an exciting time filled with family gatherings and parties, holiday music and movies, religious observations, gifts and fun decorations, all the special things we look forward to throughout the year. But for a lot of us, the holidays aren't exactly magical. They can be stressful too. Some folks simply dread this time of year. Holiday gatherings can mean falling short of unrealistic expectations of perfection, ding, 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 family tensions, or awkward conversations. Parties and dinners can trigger issues around food and addictions. The expectations that come with cooking and baking and shopping and gift giving can mean spending time and energy and money you don't really have. Remember that even now, especially now, it's okay, necessary really, to say no and set boundaries. You are allowed to prioritize your well-being and mental health. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk with some familiar friends and a few new experts about all the different ways you can set boundaries to ensure that you and the people who matter to you truly enjoy this season of celebration. So take a load off and listen in. It's hard no for the holidays. Happy to introduce my friend and executive director of Connecting for Kids, Sarah Rintamaki, and creative director, Carla Fitch. Connecting for Kids is an organization that provides education and support to families in Northeast Ohio who have concerns about their child. They serve all families, including those who have children with and without formal diagnoses. We want to discuss how to prepare and support those families throughout the holiday season, Whether you're hosting or have a child who is struggling, the holidays can be a complicated time. Let's go over ways to improve and ease this struggle. Sarah. Hi, Carla. Thanks for coming on. That's a hard no. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting us. We're so excited to talk about this topic. Carla, it's so nice to meet you. Thanks. It's nice to meet you too. So I'd love to focus on both sides of the coin. One being the host, welcoming families with children experiencing struggles, and two, coping with holidays as a parent of a child with difficulties. So can we start with hosting? Sure. Oh, that sounds great. All right. So sometimes... We don't know or understand the special needs of a child uh, or, you know, our, our family. Um, how can we communicate to all of our guests that we want to create a safe space for everyone and that, you know, they're welcome to speak up and tell us what they need? So uh, I think one of the best ways to create a space is to start with the family. Um, 
a lot of times the families are used to what their child needs. And if you have this family coming as a guest to your home, it can really show a lot of empathy and understanding that they're struggling to just reach out and say, hey, what can I do to make things more comfortable for you and your child? Mm-hmm. And can I say how infrequently that happens? I mean, I can remember only one person in my child's entire life who called me and asked. And I still, to this day, it tears me up. Really? She called and said, I'm having a birthday party and I really want to invite your child. What can I do to make him feel comfortable? One time. That's it. One person. One time. Wow. And still to this day, I hold that phone call dear in my heart. Why do you think that is? Do you think people are uncomfortable asking or they're just clueless or they're what? what why? <laughs> yeah. You can tell I'm at a loss for words. What? what why? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I think it's, it's a probably a combination of all things, mm-hmm. you know, and that I don't think that we've really taught people how to make those phone calls. Mm-hmm. You know, we come from a culture where, um, really everything is about the, the norm, the typical. Yeah. And anybody who doesn't fit in the typical has been left to find their own way to navigate rather than asking ourselves, what can we do to accommodate all? How can we be inclusive of all? So this is why I'm so glad that you invited us to have this podcast, because even that simple phone call and say, what can I do to make your day more comfortable and for you and your family to feel more included might just be enough. Do you think a lot of people mean well, but make a lot of assumptions? I think a lot of people just don't know. They just don't know. Yeah. I mean, one of the things about disability is that it's described as a horizontal identity. So if you think of identity as vertical and horizontal, vertical are those identities that you inherit through your family. You know, you're of a certain cultural background. Your parents taught you these norms. You have these traditions and celebrations. When disability pops up in a family, it is usually a one-off. Um, you know, you have a family who's dealing for the first time with a diagnosis. And so a lot of, in, including my family, um, we just didn't know how to deal with it. We, mm-hmm. we didn't know anybody who had a disability. We didn't know how to include people who had a disability. And we had this set of traditions that we had been just following all our lives. And we thought, well, let's keep going and see how it works out. Um, at least that's been our experience. Right. And then the parents are white knuckling their way through these celebrations and mm-hmm. not enjoying themselves in any way. With a lot of pressure to keep the family tradition too. Yeah. Yeah. So how can we ease the pressure for parents? What kinds of questions can we ask besides how can I make this easier for you? Well, I think it's going to depend on the child's own strengths and weaknesses. And that's something that is going to be unique to every family. Um, and I fully believe that every child has strengths and weaknesses and that you can often use those strengths to bolster the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you have a child whose um, weakness is anxiety and you might be asking questions tailored to how can you help that child be less anxious in a new situation, in a new home, um, Grandma who maybe gets too close and doesn't have the kind of personal space the child likes. Those are the kind of questions, though, that you would tailor tailor to a particular child with anxiety. Um, a child with um, 
ADHD or attention issues might have different needs. You know, they may not be as anxious, but maybe doing impulsive things like my, my daughter has a little bit of impulsion and she will like come up and tap you on the shoulder. And sometimes it startles people. And so how can you work with that? So I think it's, it's an individual child thing. So what about um, giving people the space to opt out if they're uncomfortable? Is there, is there pressure to attend even when you feel like it's going to be a disaster? Or do, do you think most parents feel comfortable saying, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to attend this event and explain why? I mean, like, how, tell me about navigating that. Yeah, you know, there's an interesting um, blog post that one of our families wrote where she called it the season of maybes. <laughs> um, and she said, yeah, that she would love to come, um, to all the things that she's been invited to. And yet, you know, five minutes before they're ready to leave out the door, um, disaster might hit and it might turn to a no. And, mm-hmm. you know, and making sure that the people in her life give her grace and invite, continue to invite, hoping that next time the maybe turns into a yes. Um, so that's, that's a wonderful thing. You know, the, the downside is, is that the loneliness that families feel right. when they're isolated from these traditions, right? So, you know, oftentimes, you know, I can remember very vividly, I wanted to be at the party fulfilling the traditions, um, not home again, watching the same, mm-hmm. you know, movie or doing the same routines that provided comfort. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so it's a lot of complicated, you know, yes, I think you give the grace for a family to opt out. But then you also, I think, hopefully can acknowledge some way where they can feel as though they got those um, family connections and support that can happen during these holiday functions and and work with them to to make sure they're not too isolated. Yeah. And I hear you, Carla, talking about, you know, this is very individualistic or, you know, it's very specific to individual children and there's their different needs. Are there some general sort of actionable things hosts can do to create safe spaces in general? We do. We do have a uh, how to host inclusive holidays guide on the Connecting for Kids website. And that goes through four areas of uh, general ways that hosts can provide more comfort to families whose kids are struggling with different areas. Um, The first section describes anxiety and social skills challenges, which I kind of alluded to in the beginning, can be a big issue for a lot of families. Mm -hmm. Um, Social skills are one that I think no matter what age or ability, uh, everyone's child struggles with at some place. Um, That is true. (laughs) we, We all have those social gaps that our children have done and we've just drifted into the floor. So that's a great one that can help uh, prepare. Another big issue, one that, that hits my family personally, is food allergies and feeding issues. Um, mm-hmm. my, my daughter is intolerant to some foods. Uh, we also have a beloved family member who has food intolerances. So we're quite used to having lots of different versions of the same food. We'll probably have like three different bowls of stuffing for Thanksgiving. Yes. You have to have the gluten-free. You have to have the dairy-free. <laughs> you have to have the one that everybody loves. Yeah. So there are some guidelines there, too, with food and feeding that uh, can help families feel more comfortable and safe. Another big issue is uh, sensory processing issues. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone, I think, at some point in their lives has walked into a room and gotten completely overwhelmed by what's going on. And and for kids with sensory issues, 
those triggers are often more likely to happen um, and maybe more challenging to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so some of the ways that you can prepare a little bit more of a sensory friendly environment. Um, one of the things that uh, we've had in the past is someone just set aside a spare room and said, hey, if you need to go here to cool down, you just go in the room and we have some blankets and a pillow and a tablet. And that's wonderful. Know, my, my child could go to the room and hang out in the room for a little bit. And then we'd be ready to go back to our family gathering. So my two children are adults and I'm an adult. Of course, my husband's an adult. We need the escape room. Like we need that. Like there are times where we just get overwhelmed. And I was raised as an only child. And when I first started celebrating the holidays with my husband's family, there would be this moment where I was so used to people taking turns and one at a time opening presents. And there are four kids and two adults and they just went at it. Like they all got their pile and everybody's opening presents all at once and cross talking. And I just remember I had to leave the room. I was like, this is unbelievably loud and crazy and I can't handle it. So I think even adults have sensory issues, not just children, but um, that's wonderful. I love that they provided that space. That's really kind. Sometimes we have to advocate for the space too. And in this yes, particular yes. case, um, we, we actually advocated ahead of time to get that Smart. space set aside. Because uh, as we said kind of in the beginning, it, it's not necessarily going to be that the family member understands or even knows mm-hmm. that your child is having these issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You asked how hosts can help, but families sometimes need to help themselves. It's part of that dialogue that happens ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So to collect that fourth section... We actually took stories and, and experiences of the Connecting for Kids families who contributed to the guide. Because a lot of these tips came right from CFK families that said, this is what we've done and this is how it helped. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So uh, we will definitely put a link to that on our on our website. Um, and I encourage everybody to not only look at this guide, but all the different resources that Connecting for Kids provides. It's unbelievable what they what they put out there to help families. Let's talk about um, in the moment. So sometimes some kids have some reactive behaviors and and depending on whether you've celebrated with that family or not before, you may not know how to respond or you might not be used to it. Um, what is the kindest, most appropriate way for for a host or guests at a at a gathering to respond when a child has some sort of reactive behavior? That's a great question. Um, I think probably the number one thing to do is to not shame the parent or the child. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mostly what I tell people is keep your mouth quiet, put a smile on your face. If you're going to say anything, you say, we all have bad days. Um, and to help normalize the fact that um we all have bad days, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is something that is really hard, especially in our um, culture where behavior is seen as a reflection on parenting rather than a child who's unable to handle the situation. Um, and so, um, right. 
So that's really, you know, so, and I, to, to back up, I think the first thing you need to do is make sure everybody is safe. So if there's something you can do to remove other children from the room or, you know, be able to help the, the child who's struggling, make sure that they're not harming themselves or others. Um, and, you know, so first get everyone safe. And then once mm-hmm. everyone is safe, um, just making those simple, non-judgmental, everyone has a bad day, let's move on, you know, um, can really make a family feel like they really are welcome, that their child is welcome. And just to recognize that um, these are really stressful events. And mm-hmm. yes, they are, you know. Yeah. There are different ways of responding to that stress. You know, some children express it outward. Some children clam up and it all goes inward. And both can be very destructive, but we tend to um, really judge harshly the aggressive outward expression of behaviors and not, um, and then praise and reward the person who sucks it in, even if that might turn into something that is really maladaptive and becomes, mm-hmm. you know, all those things, but, you know, you see, you hear about depression or self-harm or, you know, all those people that are just turning all that stress inwards is, is not a good coping way either. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, normalizing and just saying these events are really stressful. Maybe we need to turn on some calming music. Maybe we need to, um, break up into smaller groups or tone down the noise level or mm-hmm, just trying mm-hmm. to be there supportive for all the families. Mm-hmm. Those are all great points. So when you're hosting a holiday party, there's a lot involved, a lot of bright colors and noise and a lot of stuff going on. And sometimes that can be overwhelming for some kids and they might have some sort of reactive behavior. How do you handle that as a host? So the first thing that uh, any host would need to do is to make sure that everybody is safe, both the child who's having um, some struggles and then other children around them. Um, you know, first it's, it's to help the parents to deescalate the situation and get everyone safe. Um, but the second thing you can do is to have some empathy and to normalize that everyone has a bad day. You know, in mm-hmm. fact, you can just make that comment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everyone's had a bad day. I've been there. Right. And, you know, I think sometimes our culture really shames, um, children who have aggressive ins- incidences or get overwhelmed um, and and they definitely shame their parents and so Mm -hmm. what I'd like us to to instead have is a culture where we see that when a child struggles it's really because they they got overwhelmed and they didn't have the skills to handle that moment Um, and only through empathy and acceptance can the child learn that how to better um, cope in a situation where they get overwhelmed and choose a different option. Um, but they're only going to do that if, if we all accept them and acknowledge that they're still humans um, and that next time they'll choose something differently. Are there specific things you guys find that are common triggers that maybe um, hosts can be aware of ahead of time so as not to... Um, increase the likelihood of a kid getting overwhelmed? Sarah mentioned the skills, the child not having the skills. And if we, one of one of the experts on lagging skills is Dr. Ross Green. Um, he has the Lives in the Balance website. But he talks about four global areas of skills where, where kids struggle. Um, mm-hmm. First one being flexibility. And this is, you know, very true for our younger kids. Younger mm-hmm. kids, uh, they like their routines. They like yep. their black and white. It's very developmental appropriate for younger kids not to be flexible. 
So that's one area. Um, frustration tolerance is another big area where a lot of kids struggle. So are there tasks that they're going to be asked to do that are going to become frustrating for them? Problem solving. That's another area where kids tend to struggle. Um, are they going to have to figure out a problem? So is their cousin who likes to take all their toys when they want to play with them? Is the cousin showing up at this event and you know that your child is going to have a problem negotiating who gets to play with what toy during that uh, particular family gathering? And then emotion regulation. It's something that we, we start very early on to learn. We start to learn to emotion, emotion regulate as infants, but it's not something we really can manage until we're into our well into our adulthood mm -hmm. uh, when we get better emotion regulation skills. So is there something that you know is going to get your child very emotionally hyped up that you can um, help them kind of prepare for those lagging skills? Um, but you know all of these areas, if you if you look at them, they're kind of developmental too. So it's going to mm -hmm. again as they go back to it, it depends on the kid. Yeah, yeah. Part of me wonders if the challenges of the holiday would help with that skill building. Like you don't develop skills unless you experience things and work your way through them. Is there, is that part of it too? Yes, but you're only going to develop those skills if you're in a loving, safe, right. Inclusive environment. Right. So if I come over to grandma's house and I sit down at the table and I'm so overwhelmed with the smells and the sights and the sounds at the table and that I just can't eat mm -hmm. um, or eat anything other than the roll. Mm -hmm. And um, I get told that I'm bad for not just taking one bite. And why can't I just take one bite? And I feel like I'm going to throw up and right. Like, I feel like that may not be the place for me to take the bite. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. And so, you know, it can be something where, you know, just tolerating on my plate may be enough. And, you know, to switch that flip is to be celebrating the child. I am so proud of how you have all those new foods on your plate. Um, and look how good you're doing just sitting here and accepting them right where they are. Right. 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 Um, and I feel like that, that's the difference is that, yes, if I'm playing with my cousin and they take all the toys, Right. Um, might be a wonderful opportunity for me to learn not to just smack my cousin on the head with my toy. Um, but I'm only going to do that if I'm in a safe space where we say, well, that was a, a tough choice. And, and why don't we calmly talk about what we could have done differently when when you got frustrated with your cousin? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so um, but, th but that's just not what the majority of American culture is. It's how could you hit them again? And then, you know, the cousin's mother is saying, you know, I am not bringing him over cause he's not safe around your child. And right. And then everybody starts picking sides and escalating. At least this is what happens in our family. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, and that it requires a lot. It requires everybody to really look at that and see the fact that the, you know, a child got hurt, which is never okay, but they got hurt cause you know, the, they didn't have the skills to problem solve it themselves, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not because they had bad parenting or they're a bad kid or, right. And I, I feel like that, that's the flip in our culture we would love to see and would truly allow us to get to an inclusive place. Right. So I keep hearing communication, kindness, empathy, um, giving people space to do what they need to do. Um, 
yeah, it seems like all pretty, uh, if you put yourself in the mindset of that, it should come pretty naturally, I would hope. Yes. Although I guess, like you say, Sarah, it's not, not the, the way we're all conditioned necessarily. Right. Which is why I'm, I'm so proud of Carla for creating this inclusive guide. Yeah. It's great. I hope people go through and read it. You know, like um, we were talking about how there's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down, but especially that part where, you know, we actually heard genuine stories from our family saying, this is where the struggles are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a beautiful piece. And I think it, there are some universal truths that can relate to, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, whether it's a mental health or a developmental disability or, um, you know, those, those three things, communicate and then be kind and empathetic could make all of us have a wonderful holidays with our families. Right. Right. It's a wonderful piece. I, the, the whole guide, I'll, I've read through the whole thing and it's, I, I encourage everybody to check it out. So for parents who are showing up to this event, maybe with a little bit of a knot in their stomach, <laughs> um, how, besides the conversation ahead of time with the, or maybe you could elaborate more on the conversation ahead of time, how can a parent prepare? I'm a big fan of self-compassion practice. And a big part of that is understanding that Things that go wrong are just part of being human. Yeah. Nobody is going to hit the mark every single time. And that, as Sarah mentioned earlier, everybody has bad days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just giving yourself that space as you're going into these holiday get-togethers to know that you might not be at your 100%. Your child may not be at your 100%. And to just let yourself be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've gotten to the point in my life where my attitude generally is, well, that happened. Now what? Like, I just, I don't dwell on the feelings of inadequacy or imperfection. I know I have an issue with perfectionism. Um, and, you know, that whole FOMO or wanting to be like everyone else. Like, I just don't, I don't have time for that anymore. Um, so to me, it's very just pragmatic, like, okay, that happened. Now what, now what do I do? So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think a lot of people are way too hard on themselves. And if there was someone else next to them in the same boat, they would be speaking to them with kindness and encouragement and not beating them up. Right. And, and we don't offer ourselves that same compassion. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I, I think social media lends that as well, mm-hmm. in that there's a lot of these ideas of these perfect holidays from movies or social media about how these are supposed to go. Um, mm-hmm. Or it could be, you know, an idealistic memory you might have of your own childhood memory of this, you know, but maybe you didn't see all of what really was going on mm-hmm. with your mm-hmm. your memory, right? You know, like, I always try to remind myself that, um, you know, maybe I didn't see the fighting that was going on in the kitchen while I was playing with my toys, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so, you know, we think we're trying to create these perfect holiday moments for our children um, when there is no perfect moment. There's only the messy 
um, human interactions that we have. And that can be enough and it can be wonderful. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's kind of how I got through most of the holidays. And just normalizing that comes back to your empathy and kindness, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but with that said, probably the number one tool was the social story. You know, so much about what happens in a holiday, I, you know, from intuition, right? Like, of course, this is, you know, we're going to sit down at a, at the big table instead of the kitchen table. And of course, we're going to um, have all these new people that are going to be here. And, you know, um, and really having to sit down and write out exactly kind of what things will happen during the holiday party forced me to acknowledge how many new things were going to happen um, and then talk to my kids about it ahead of time. You know, so so a social story can be as simple as I just folded over pieces of paper and was like, we will arrive and, and there will be lots of cars in the parking lot. And then when we get in, instead of putting our coat in the closet, we're going to put them on a bed. Right. I don't know how your family works, but we all toss the coats on the bed. Yeah. Right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's I mean, think about all the new things. Right. And right. Right. Um, you know, and there will be lots of people there and they will all ask you the same thing. What grade are you in? How do you like school? What sports do you do? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. what else do grownups talk to kids about? Right. And so, um, right. You will be expected to come and sit down at the big table and um, we will pass food and you'll take something off the platters instead of having food given to you. Right. Like all those little details can amp up anxiety. If you have a child with anxiety, if you don't have a child with anxiety, they may not be as uncomfortable with it, but it really helped my family to be able to walk through all the things that would be different. I love that. And you've just triggered a memory, Sarah. I, so both of anxiety runs throughout my family, just the way we are. We're all wired this way. Um, and I, I didn't realize what I was doing, but when I was raising my kids, literally everywhere we went, if we went to a store, if we went to someone's house, I would park the car and we would sit in the car and have a conversation and I say, okay, so here's what's going to happen. And I'd walk them through like this, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And this is what I expect of you. And if, you know. It, kind of the bar, the bartering part, if you're good, then this will happen. If you're bad, if you, if you do this or that, then we're going to leave. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Um, but I knew my kids were very, um, they would start every day saying, what's going to happen today? Like they wanted to know, they wanted to have a plan. And to this day, my youngest is the same way. Like they want to have a plan um, at the beginning of every day. So I didn't know that was called a social story. I think that's fascinating. And I can, I can see that as being a really helpful tool, not only for the kid, but for the parents to realize, as you said, how many new things are being kind of thrust upon this kid. Um, I didn't even think of that. Like the, the piling of the coats on the bed and the platters being passed, like didn't even think that would be something new. Something new and unexpected. Yeah. And yeah, you, right? Like I feel like a lot of these things, you know, we give them formal names. Um, like social stories or, you know, even emotional yeah. regulation. People say to me, what is that? I'm like, well, it's when you calm down, like our co-regulation, right? It's like mm-hmm. when you calm down and breathe slowly and your child mimics you. And they're like, oh, okay, there's a term for that, right? <laughs> I, I've always done that, right? And so, um, but yeah, that's one of the things, in fact, we have that in the inclusive 
mm-hmm. you know, holiday tips that these would be things that you could do. Um, and, and just to point out the reason. So what you were doing was orally walking your children through, right, which is right. great if they can orally listen and follow directions where the social story sometimes can be written down with pictures mm-hmm. that might help a child who um, needs to be communicated to more through a written format or to have pictures to help them understand the concepts. Um, so there's a lot of ways, depending upon how your child learns, to be able to prepare them for all the changes. Yeah. What if a host doesn't reach out to you and it might be the first time you're invited to a, I don't know, neighborhood holiday party of some sort. Um, if you're not used to doing this, if you're not comfortable, what are some ways to begin a conversation with someone and say, you know, to advocate for your child and say, Hey, I'm, I'm wondering if we can talk about, you know, the event you're going to have and, and how, um, as some things we might need for our kid. It's very uncomfortable. You know, it can be very awkward and uncomfortable. How do you make that phone call or text or whatever? In fact, I just had a beautiful conversation on Friday with a family that I thought navigated it really well. Um, I was going on a overnight trip with uh, a bunch of high school students and a parent called me and said, Hey, uh, this is our first time participating. Could you just walk me through how this will go? Right. Which I thought was a great way of leading yeah. in without, you know, needing to share like, Hey, my child struggles or she didn't, you know, go into any kind of mm-hmm, diagnosis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think anytime you're going the first time to something, most people could understand that kind of a phone call. Hey, this is my first time attending. Um, can you just walk me through what to expect? Yeah. Right. And then that's going to allow you to kind of understand some triggers, right? Um, you know, the second thing is, is that, you know, we try to model a lot some common phrases you can use that, that don't include a diagnosis. Like some people are very comfortable sharing their child's diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Other people aren't. I don't feel like you ever should feel pressured to explain behavior based on a medical diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. So we often use phrases like, you know, my child can sometimes struggle um, with loud noises or unexpected things, you know, so if we have to leave early, please don't take that offensive. It might just be that we need to take a break or it might be too overwhelming for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some simple phrases you can use to kind of give yourself an out without having to go too far into your child's privacy. Um, you know, um, hopefully that, that gives you some ideas, but you know, I, I, I'm a very social creature, so I'm an extrovert, so I always wanted to go to the party, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to be left at home. Um, and so, you know, I found that it was always worthwhile to call and get a rundown, um, to kind of give myself that out. Hey, we might need to leave. Um, mm-hmm. and then at least I got a chance to see if it could work. So let's say your kid knows about an event that you've been invited to and they're looking forward to it and, Either, you know, ahead of time, this is not going to work. This is, this is not going to be accommodating to my kid, or this is, there's just going to be something there that is going to be really difficult for them to handle. Or you, you know, so we're going to opt out and we're going to say, no, thank you this time. Um, you know, how do you communicate that with them in a way that doesn't cause them too much upset or whatever? Um, and then like, what if, what if you do leave? Like, we're going to leave early. We're, we've decided this is enough. 
Like, how do you handle that with a kid who's struggling? It helps to let your child be part of the decision-making process as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Not not everybody's child is in a place where they can be part of the decision-making process, but even little decisions have helped make it easier for my child to own and accept where mm-hmm. she's strong and where she has weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is, this is, this is what you're going to see. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to experience. This is some things that, that might happen that are going to cause you to struggle. These are some things that might happen that you'll enjoy. And then really let listen to your child's feedback on it. I mean, maybe it is the right thing to forget about it, but maybe your child tells you, Hey, I really want this and I can handle it. Of course. Yeah. You know, and then the part, Heather, that is, I think most heartbreaking that we get phone calls on is when um, a sibling really wants to attend an event that wouldn't be conducive to the entire family Mm -hmm. or um, that isn't accessible. You know, I can think of, of a situation where um, somebody wanted to attend a place that wasn't wheelchair accessible and the parent was quite upset because there was no way for them to be able to navigate Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. to that event. Um, and so, you know, that's, and a lot of parents then feel a lot of guilt and shame and worry about, um, the sibling not being able to attend or mm-hmm. having to leave early before they're ready. Um, and especially when there's, there aren't two caregivers, like, so one could stay with the sibling and, and one then takes the other child home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we try to remind parents as much as possible that, um, Siblings tend to turn out just okay. Um, as long as the parents, you know, keep talking and communicate about what is and isn't feasible for their family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that, um, it is unfair and they can point that out that it's unfair that the sibling isn't able to participate in something that they want to do, but for their family, um, they're going to do a different activity. Um, and then, of course, we always encourage families to contact us for support because those can be painful conversations to have. Um, and I, again, I'm I'm imagining the self blame, self criticism, self. Uh, you know, our co-host Sarah Saunders calls them the shitty committee. Like they start, you know, yelling at you in your head, telling you what a terrible parent you are, and you have to be kind and empathetic to yourself and say, you know, I can only do so much. There's only, there's only one of me and this is all, I, this is what I can do right now. Yeah. And I, I remind parents over and over again, you didn't choose for your child to have the struggle. Your child didn't choose. Right. Right. It just so is. It, it just is sort of like what you were saying earlier, you know, well, mm-hmm. that happened. Right. And so all you can, can control is how you react to it. And reacting to it, acknowledging the pain of the moment, the frustration of the moment, and then saying, okay, but, you know, in this family, we take care of each other and we're going to, you know, stay home and and put on our favorite movie or we're going to have a dance party or we're going to do whatever it is that we do Mm -hmm. to find joy in our moments. Um, But going to guilt and saying, I wish I had a different life, right, isn't productive. Um, Right. Oh, but again, easy words to say, hard feelings to process. Right. Right. Um, 
And so that's why we encourage them to reach out to us and, and to find a buddy to process those and come to our, our support group meetings. And, um, because, you know, while it's very, very easy to say it, it those are, those are tough days to navigate through. Absolutely. And, you know, you're such an amazing resource for the people here in, in Northeast Ohio. Um, and I know you have a great, uh, online, um, library of resources that people from anywhere in the country can, um, access. Do you have any suggestions for people who don't live in our area, the types of organizations to look for in their areas? Sometimes the diagnosis specific organizations can provide support um, in other localities. So um, there are, you know, Novita, the um, dyslexia organization, there's Down syndrome organizations, there's autism organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the area where you're living, those organizations may be more active. So that's right. one place you can look. Yeah, I think the two you know, so obviously you've got the diagnosis and then to be a little broader, I think um, the ARC mm. is a great national organization that has statewide agencies that help individuals with any disability. So if your child has a disability, you could always contact the ARC in your state, ARC. Um, and then if your child has a mental health struggle like anxiety or ADHD, they could yes. check in with NAMI, um, N-A-M-I. And that's another national organization that has at least one chapter in every state, and they might be able to help refer you to a, a local organization to find people. That's great. Thank you. And I always ask this at the end of these things, like, what what have I not asked? What should I have asked? What did I forget? What can you share with us that might be helpful that I didn't even think of? So one of the phrases I, I wish I could tell every aunt, uncle, and grandparent is to respect the parenting boundary. Mm. Um, and especially because this is a hard no and, and we're talking about boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people had what they thought were helpful suggestions about how I should be raising my child differently or handling a situation differently or, mm-hmm. or reacting in the moment differently. What they would have, should have, what they would have done and what I should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really wish that what people saw as what, and I think they genuinely thought they were giving me helpful advice when really what I wanted was compassion. Right. And not solutions. And so that would be my number one thing is, is that while it might look easy during this one hour segment that you see me in a large party about the decision I made in that moment to judge what I did or didn't do. And you might think that you know what I should or shouldn't have done Mm -hmm. um, and that your comment would be helpful in some way. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really not. Um, And that compassion and empathy would have gone a lot farther. You know, you brought to mind something that has occurred in our family in that, as I mentioned, we all struggle with some anxiety and, and other issues and the boundary I've tried to set is respecting my kids' privacy. And there will be people in the family who want to talk about the ins and outs of diagnoses. And I don't feel comfortable sharing that information because my ch- my children are now young adults. But even in their teenage years, I was like, this is 
their story to tell. And I don't feel comfortable sharing every single thing with you just because you're curious. Um, and that's been a hard boundary to set. And, you know, the person might say, but why I'm there, whatever, aunt, uncle, grandmother, you know, I'm like, well, that's, that doesn't mean you're entitled to know every single personal thing about them. So that's a boundary we've tried to set for our kids. It's tough though. Yeah. But boy, we applaud you for that boundary. And we, we know it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have tremendous respect for you modeling that for your kids. Oh, thanks. Um, Again, didn't know I was doing anything all that special, but it's just like that gut instinct of how I would want to be treated. I think that's what it all boils down to, right? Treat others, the, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. And I've always tried to think of my kids in that way. So thank you so much. So I've to lighten this up a little bit, I kind of just off the top of my head started this with our last holiday conversation. Um, and I wonder if you'd be game for this. Just a quick speed round of yes or hard no. It's, it's okay. So I'm just going to throw some things at you and you just shout out yes or hard no. Green bean casserole. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cranberry sauce. What kind? The can? Ah, uh, okay. Well, let's, let's break it up. Canned? Yes. No. <laughs> no. Whole? No. The, no. the homemade kind? Oh, you don't like it at all. Carl's <laughs> no. Carl like, hard no. No cranberries. Okay, cool. <laughs> Candied yams with the marshmallows on top? No. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. The face, Carl's face. <laughs> um, Fruitcake? No. No. <laughs> eggnog. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Eggnog. Yes. 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 That's what's wrong. Is there any other way? <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Well, thank you so much, guys. Um, I really appreciate you spending time on a Monday morning, uh, especially during the holiday season to talk with us. And I, I, I really value what you do for people, and um, I hope everyone goes online and reads your guide. I think it's helpful for those hosting and for those attending, and and there's tons of other resources there. Did you want to briefly just tell people about the other resources you provide? So we provide online and in-person education and support for a wide variety of concerns. So it could be something like anxiety or attention. Um, it could be LGBTQ questions um, or learning disabilities. Really, whatever a parent is concerned about, they can come and get resources from us one of three ways. The first way is if it's 3 a.m., they can um, search online. We have resource guides that can help with um, any, really any concern that you have, including more than 90 podcasts of local providers that can um, talk to you about topics, everything from anxiety to um, food allergies. Um, the second thing you can do is to contact us for a free one-on-one consult with one of our family resource specialists. You can set up a Zoom meeting or do some text change and we can help connect you to those resources um, one-on-one. And then the third thing you can do is join us at one of our local programs in Northeast Ohio. Um, we have everything from support group meetings to um, programs you can attend with your child. Um, so we encourage you to come to connectingforkids.org Um, and find a way to connect with us and we'll help educate and support you um, so that you and your family can thrive. Thank you so much. And um, again, thank you so much for joining us today. And 
Well, well thank you, you for having us. Like I said, yeah, Carla is an amazing guide. And I, I'm so excited about, you know, having, helping you to get the word out about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for people to read it and to really enjoy their holidays this year. Creating a more inclusive world together. Right, Heather? That's right. That's right. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found today's conversation helpful. Visit our website, hardnopodcast.com for this episode's show notes, including all of the wonderful resources that Kathy mentioned, past episodes, downloadables, and links to resources. Have a question or suggestion for the podcast? Send an email through our website or message us on Instagram. Our handle is at hardnopodcast. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, especially on Apple, so others can find us too. That's a Hard No is presented by Clever Girl Marketing in partnership with Purposeful Growth and Wellness. Marketing and amazing production coordinator, Maura Del Rosario. Production support, Evergreen Podcast, Noah Fouts, producer. Music by Gigi Ricks. Until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no, then say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.